0: Thank you for tuning in this is neo and the matrix is real uh, back after a few months absence it's been a crazy few months for me uh but today i wanted to touch on a subject that a lot of people ask me i'm very vocal about it's kind of the basis of, of what i'm about my faith um but why does it matter who jesus was um some people you know say that he was a, is a fiction a person that never actually existed some other people say, you know, whether or not he was the Son of God or not, doesn't really matter. Um, that's what I want to focus on today. So, who was Jesus? Well, most modern Christians today, as well as, um, I'll just say, I'll say most most Christians today, believe that Jesus was the literal Son of God, and also the God incarnate via the Trinity. You have the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and because of that... Jesus essentially existed since the beginning of time with God. He wasn't incarnated in human form until, you know, he he came to earth, but Jesus has always existed. They're one and the same. Now, um, this has not always been the case. The early followers of Jesus in no way thought he was the Son of God. They in no way thought he was God incarnate. These were ideas that were founded upon Pauline theology, obviously Paul um, is to to credit for the majority of what we know and believe today, and I I say we, I'm talking about the world, uh, the majority of what is believed about Jesus today is due to Paul, a.k.a. Saul of Tarsus, a man that never actually met Jesus at any point when Jesus was alive. The first and only time that um, Paul ever met Jesus was at the gates of Damascus, when he said that Jesus appeared to him uh, basically in, in, in a wall of light and, uh, you know, gave him all these, these messages and, and things like that. So, basically, everything that we believe today is due to a man that was accused openly while he was, um, you know, while he was while he was alive. Paul was accused, and I, I actually call him Saul of Tarsus because Paul, you know, He's a liar already, so why call him his his, his new fake name? Uh, Saul um, was accused of being a liar so much to the point that he felt it necessary to defend himself in the letters that he wrote um, to the Thessalonians and the Corinthians. Um, Who was accusing him of lying? Well, namely, his brother, uh, Jesus' brother, James, uh, Peter... And John, as well as many other followers, early followers of Jesus. In other words, people that actually knew the man when he was alive, Jesus, uh, were openly calling Saul a liar. Now, what fundamentally was different different between the beliefs of Jesus, according to James, Peter, John, and the other uh, followers of Jesus, and Saul and his followers, which were Gentiles uh, scattered throughout the diaspora, well, for, for starters, obviously, Jesus being divine, being the literal son of God, was a major one, but also what Jesus stood for. Um, one thing that, that many people today are, are, are unaware of, even myself was unaware of this until you know, uh, fairly recently, but there's a lot of evidence that says that Jesus was actually a practicing and devout vegetarian. I know, right? Pretty crazy. Um, the, the Ebionites were the original Jewish uh, Christian followers of Jesus. Um, these were these were the people that walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, and believed that he was Messiah in the context of, of the Jews. The Jewish Messiah was a, a man that did not die. It was a man that was here sent by God to usher in uh, God's kingdom on earth. So a literal king. Um this was was something that, again, Saul felt necessary to comment and criticize, um, calling uh, the, the practicing Jews that were vegetarians, that they ate no flesh, weak. So what other evidence is there that, that, that Jesus was a vegetarian? Well, if you look at the, the, the classic story that many Christians focus on in terms of uh, chastising, you know, banking and charging interest uh, When Jesus stormed the temple courtyard And uh, overturned tables And, and uh, you know, beat the, the money changers Whipping them with a, a reed that's, that's the story that most people have, al- have always focused on You know, that, that's, that's the end of it And there's nothing else But if you actually read that part of the, in the New Testament That's not all he did he actually also set free all of the animals that were being sold in the temple courtyard. Now, what I learned when I was going to Sunday school as a child is that you know these were the quote sacrificial animals. These are the animals that were you know being sold to be directly offered to God in the sacrifice. And that's not that's not entirely the case. I'm sure maybe you know some people did buy buy them for that purpose, but this was like essentially a market. This is people you know buying and selling animals to slaughter to eat. So. When Jesus set these animals free, he wasn't—he wasn't making a comment on uh, the practice of sacrificing animals. You know, some people said you know that that, that was his, his real message. Is he was he was uh, he was talking about the uh, the priestly aristocracy that was controlling the Jews and, and they were corrupt. But that's not the case. He literally was directly commenting on the practice of selling animals. For the intention to slaughter, so that's that's not in that in and of itself. You can say one thing. Well, there's also more evidence. Um, According to the Buddhist manuscripts that were discovered by Nicholas Notovitch in 1887 at the Hemis Monastery, um, there exists manuscripts that talk about Jesus during the last 17 years of the Gospels, and that put him in India and Tibet. And uh, various parts of Asia where he was essentially studying Buddhism and various other Eastern spiritual practices. If if you're aware of Buddhism at all, not all Buddhists, but a sizable uh, portion of Buddhists are practicing vegetarians. Um, These texts were written roughly three years after Jesus was crucified. Um, They were written down by Buddhist monks that had come into contact with uh, traveling merchants that had witnessed The crucifixion of Jesus. Now, it'd be one thing if only one person found these, okay? But it wasn't just one person. Notovitch wasn't the only person. There were actually um, at least four major important credible sources that independently traveled to the Heimus Monastery and verified um, whether whether seeing the text for themselves or verifying the, the Stories or the general context of what was said in these manuscripts were verified independently by four plus people, and I'm just saying four because there was actually more, um, but I want to focus on the main four. But before I do, the, the, what the, the focal point of these texts about being a vegetarian in the same uh, context of, of storming the temple courtyard in these texts, Jesus says to emulate not animals, for the Spirit of God dwells within all of of God's creation. So in other words, immolate is a very important word. It doesn't say sacrifice. Sacrificing animals is a form of immolation, because immolation means to kill. But it does not exclusively mean to sacrifice. So that's the important part, is the the, the word choice was not sacrifice. It was to immolate not. So, when you view this in the context of, of what happened, it seems that Jesus was making a much more stronger statement. And there's some that theorize that this act in and of itself was one of the main reasons why Jesus was ultimately executed for sedition. Um, if you think about it today, what we eat as people, you know, you wouldn't think that, that there's power in that. But look at the practice of eating in this in this world right now. Vegetarians and vegans make up a sizable minority. It, it's almost, quote, extreme. I've even been called an extremist for practicing a vegan plant-based diet, okay? So, that's today. That's today in modern society where we have technology, we have, you know, grocery stores every few miles, we have uh, ability to um, to plant and harvest and grow food even in in conditions what, you know, we otherwise may not be able to. So... Even today, in, those, in, that, in that context of this world, even today, it is, you're still called an extremist for, eating, for not eating animals. So go back 2,000 years ago when Jesus was alive. For somebody that literally threatened the very basis of society in terms of what we eat, that was pretty powerful and pretty threatening to the established order. Jesus, that's the thing that people don't understand. And this is, again, the fundamental difference between Pauline theology and the truth about who Jesus really was. Jesus threatened, he was a multifaceted threat. He threatened, obviously, the religious, spiritual spiritual order of the time, the, the, the Jews and the priests themselves. He also threatened the political order of the time via the Romans. that one, and this is again, uh, there's something known as Christian anarchism, okay? Anarchy and anarchism when depicted in in, in modern mass media is always the same thing. It's always chaos, and it's always people wearing black masks throwing Molotov cocktails. In any movie you ever want to watch, whenever they talk about anarchy, or whenever they show it on TV and the news, that is the image they give you. But true anarchism is a peaceful non-violent ideology that is is founded upon volunteerism about voluntary transactions in society where no one is threatened with violence or any any negative repercussions for not dealing with each other so Jesus threatened the political order because again this is in Romans 13 and this is this is something that drives me crazy because context of what was said, in Romans 13, we're told to basically blindly obey the the rulers of this planet because God put them in charge and he wants them in charge for a reason. It's like, look at, you know, Hitler, look at, you know, Mao, you don't even have to look any further than that. Look at every U.S. president that has openly supported illegal wars based on lies. Look at George W. Bush, look at Barack Obama, look at Donald Trump. Look, look at Joe Biden today. I mean, every president that has sat, with the exception of maybe John F. Kennedy, has always supported war, senseless, illegal wars based on lies to, to fulfill geopolitical agendas. So, who is truly the violent, you know, person or, or, or ideology? It's not anarchism because anarchism is built on, you know, if. if, if Society doesn't blindly obey other other entities like government. And if we focus on obeying each other and ourselves and, and volunteering our transactions in society, then who fights the wars? All war is is legalized mass murder. That's all war is. Okay? Because if, if you look again, almost every war is always fought for multiple, very, very different purposes, true purposes than what the is told. And furthermore, the very people that, that wage the wars, that vote for them, or that, that literally send the troops to die, are always people that never suffer directly from the, 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 the choices that they make. And in the United States of America and in every country on planet Earth, the people that vote for the wars, they never fight in them themselves. They also almost never have their families fighting them. They usually always have some legal recourse to get their families out of it and to avoid it. You know, look at Donald Trump. It was it the Vietnam War. He was, he was fighting the Coast Guard. You know, and his reason was he had a bad back. Oh, poor baby. But again, Jesus threatened the political stability of Rome because he was asked, Pontius Pilate, according to what we know, not only from the Gospels, but from other sources, like Buddhist manuscripts, uh, like uh, the, the Quran, and uh, secular historians like uh, the Romans, uh, Roman historian Josephus, Pliny the Younger, and others, Tacitus. Jesus was, was spied on. They were trying to trap him and arrest him for any reason they could. So spies came out to Jesus and said, hey, what about paying tribute to to Caesar what about paying taxes is what they asked and Jesus knowing that these were spies cleverly because he's remember he spoke in parables he was he was a he was a little uh, he was a little rascal he was almost like he had a sense of humor a lot of times he would answer things without answering them. he says fetch me a denarius denarius is a Roman coin somebody hands him one and he says now tell me what is on the denarius what is on his coin and the spies respond and they say an image of Caesar. You know, a picture of Caesar. So which Jesus replies, then render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, but render unto God that which belongs to God. That verse has long been used by Christians to basically justify paying taxes to governments of man. Now, you, in my opinion, you have to also... Look at this verse in the context of other verses and other commandments that Jesus gave us. Namely, in my opinion, besides resisting not evil, which is, I believe, one of the most important points of the ministry of Jesus, the other one is serving only one master. Jesus said, you can only serve one master for, if you serve two, you will love one and hate the other. When you pay taxes to the government of man that you know are used to fund war, and in, in, in this modern world abortions, things policies like that, that promote racial inequality, like the fact that the Department of Homeland Security in the United States of America gives military grade weapons and hardware and supplies to domestic police forces. And usually the ones that are the biggest recipients of this are ones that operate with large budgets and Highly urbanized zones. So, in other words, minorities. It's not you know, it's not these these places like the Hamptons or you know, or Orange County, California, or any or places like that that are getting these these Humvees and these these uh, you know these radar weapons. The the uh, I can't remember what they're called, but basically they, 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 they shoot high-powered sonar at crowds. Um, you know, the, the the SWAT-looking people that look like 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 black thugs. And I said, black, don't, please don't give me being racist. I'm just saying the fact that they're wearing black, they look like thugs. look like gangsters. They look like mafiosos. So it, the point is, it's, it's all this stuff. Your tax dollars are used to fund these things that are ungodly. And yet the weak-willed Christians throughout history have, have rationalized their weakness by saying, oh, well, Jesus said to pay taxes. No, didn't. I'll give you the true meaning of that verse. If I go out to your car, and if I write my name on your car, does that make it mine? No, it's yours. So what, back, back up, and only until recent modern history, has money been paper, and it's not really even paper. It's a blend of you know cotton and other things. But the point is, is paper money has only existed very briefly in human history. Throughout history, five thousand plus years. Gold and silver has always been money. Always. When it was no different in Jesus' time. Where does gold and silver come from, people? It comes from the earth. Therefore, who does that gold and silver belong to? It belongs to God. Everything in this natural world belongs to God. You could even argue that everything that is created from natural resources and made artificial is also God's as well. The point is is that gold and silver are literally elements that God created that are naturally occurring on this planet and throughout the universe. So when Jesus says, render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar and unto God which belongs to God. He's not saying give the money to Caesar. He's saying if you believe that Caesar owns these things, then give him the money. But if you don't believe it because it, he didn't create it and it's not his, he just stamped his face on it. Forget him. Remember, Jesus couldn't say this publicly. He couldn't tell people, don't pay taxes. He, you, are, you could argue he couldn't even do it privately. Because if he did it privately, with the amount of spies that were going around, eventually somebody was going to go to Pontius Pilate or any, any of the Romans and, and, and turn him in. So he gave a very, very clever answer. And, and, and it was clever, and you know that it wasn't what modern Christians say. is because the crowds were marveled. They were marveled at what he said. Why would you marvel at someone being yeah, pay taxes. No, he was literally in that statement saying, give back what belongs to God to his people. So not only are you talking about the gold and silver, you're also talking about the land. Remember, Jerusalem, Judea was occupied by foreigners, by the Romans. This was a promised land. You also got to remember, and again, this is why I, it drives me crazy. And I used to be one of these people. Christians overwhelmingly only, and this also goes true for Muslims and Jews, but religious people only read their religious books as a source of their history. Number one, if you know anything about the, the context of which these books were written, they were never meant to be historical records. They were not supposed to, like, we. We view today history as very different than they did back then. Back then, books were written; these stories and, and these religious books were written, in, in, in large part, to to increase the faith. They were they were truths, but they were also legends. For example, why is this the in, in the in the Bible the number forty? is just such a in forty days, forty nights. He fasted for forty days. He was tempted for forty days. Forty days was just the Jews way of saying a long long time a long time happened it wasn't like everything that happened in the bible is 40 40 40 40 it's not like God's favorite number is 40 so the same thing is true for the, the Quran and you also got to think of this too people I know that I used to be like this but most people still think today that every you know religious book was literally just like sent via FedEx from, from heaven, from God. You know, hey guys, here you go, here's your Bible. Here's your Quran. Here's your here's your Talmud. Here's your Torah. And it's like, that's not how it happens. That's not how it happens. If you believe that, I mean, you need to have your head examined. And to me, again, this just further proves that, that if you have half a brain, God God created, He created everything that not only that exists in the world, but also that exists within our our minds and our souls. And so, for example, God created logic. He created reason. He created rational thinking and critical thinking. So, if you were a perfect God, how would you deliver your message to people to follow and be delivered and live a good life? Would you give it to various different authors spread out throughout various parts of this planet separated by large distances of time and then giving each one of them just a little piece of the puzzle would you then kind of make it a, a, a political thing about how we're going to put those pieces together and and you're gonna you're gonna call a council and have people debate and discuss and like, what well, should we put this in should we but i mean i don't know about you if it were me and i was a perfect guy i'd be like hey hey amazon we're gonna amazon it to you guys yeah it'll be there on you know, on tuesday You know, after that, I'm gonna find now. It, you know, it'll be there tomorrow, in two hours. Sorry, but no, that's not what happened. It it actually is what happened. If you if you look at the truth, God sent Jesus. He sent one man to deliver the truth. If you break down the New Testament and only focus exclusively on what Jesus supposedly said, it's a very very small book. I personally refer to. Uh, uh, two books as from, from, from my Bible for Jesus, because again, it's called Christianity, Christ, Christianity, right? <laughs> Excuse me, a little bit. But overall, it seems like people uh, that the practice Christianity are Bibleists. They're not Christians; they're Bibleists because what most people follow in the Bible is not what Jesus actually said. So what does Jesus actually say? Well, I refer to, number one, Gospel Q. You don't know what Gospel Q is. The original main four Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, they are very different and they have a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of them. But there are approximately 200 verses that are identical in both Mark and Matthew uh, they, it was it was Mark that was written uh, was the first gospel that was written uh, I believe it was around 50 AD so roughly what 20 years after the uh, crucifixion of Jesus and that was uh, that was um, I'm sorry no let me let me go back no Mark was written I believe in 70 AD the first uh, the first non gospels were, were Paul's uh, Saul's letters. That was written around 50 A.D. The first gospel was written around 60, 70 A.D. That was Mark. And then the rest followed. Gospel Q is a theoretical book. So they've never actually found an actual copy of it. But most people, most theologians and historians agree that gospel Q is high probability of something that existed. And and the, the reason why is the authors of Mark and Matthew didn't know each other. They didn't know each other personally. They also didn't know anything about each other's work. There, like I said, there's about 200 verses that are almost identical, which means only one thing, logically, is that there was an earlier source that both the authors of Mark and Matthew were looking at to write their Gospels. And that would be Gospel Q. The Gospel Q is essentially just a book of quotes from Jesus. There's a similar Gospel that was, uh, that was not included in the canonized Bible, called the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, Thomas was a missionary that was sent to Asia to basically spread the good word. And the Gospel of Thomas was basically a, a small, uh, a small, it's called a codice. Codices were missionaries uh, traveling Bibles, basically. And the way they were produced was very different than the the traditional, you know, luxurious gospels on these luxurious scrolls. Uh, the codices were written on pressed papyrus, and they were, you know, really, really tiny, about the you know, size of your hand, and they were missionaries' Bibles. These were these were the Bibles that the early Christian missionaries were using to spread the good word. The Gospel of Thomas contains almost nothing about the story of Jesus, you know, how he was born, uh, what he did. It's mainly his ministry, what he how we're supposed to live our lives, and for some reason, when the, the people that put together the Bible together, uh, and you may not know this as far as history, but it was at the Council of Hippo Regis, you know, I think it was three seventy three A.D., that the Romans again, Romans always the Romans, they decided what to put and omit in the modern Bible that you read and hold in your hand today. So again. Follow, follow this logic: the Romans, it wasn't the Jews. The Romans crucified Jesus for sedition. Whether or not the Jews, you know, blamed him, the priests worked worked with Pilate. That that doesn't matter. The point is that Jesus was crucified for sedition. You don't know what the definition is of sedition. That's resisting the established ruling authority and order. So treason, high treason. He was he was crucified for high treason. And the point of all this is that how are we living today? There, if you add up all the people on planet Earth that believe in Jesus in some way, shape, or form, it's over half the population. If you're a Christian listening to this, obviously Christians believe in Jesus, believe He's the literal Son of God. Uh, last I checked, there's roughly about 2 billion Christians on planet Earth. So that's something like 1.8 billion. Then... You also have Muslims, the Islamic faith. I bet you didn't know this if you're Christian. Did you know that Jesus is the most referenced person in all of the Quran, both directly and indirectly? Even more so than the Prophet Muhammad. Bet you didn't know that. Bet that, that just blew your mind. And good, I, I hope it did. And, and if you don't believe me, look it up. Pro, prove this to yourself. Because either one of two things, you'll Whenever you're faced with information that conflicts with your core beliefs, I implore you to do this. Research it, because it'll do one of two things. It'll open you up to a new truth that you didn't know. Or, you'll find out that it was untrue, and it will only strengthen your faith, because you're already on the right path. So, you have Christians, and now you have about 2 billion Muslims. That's about 4 billion people on planet Earth. And the Jews, a very small number in relation to those two religions, I believe it's about 15 to 20 million, so a very tiny fraction. But it's still, three still, it's really of the dominant world religions on planet Earth believe in Jesus in some way, shape, or form. The Muslims believe that Jesus was a man, a very great man, you could say he's the Messiah, but a man nonetheless. And the Jews, the same thing. They believe that he was a, a prophet. Uh, um, a very special teacher, important man, and he was a man nonetheless. They don't believe he was the Messiah because, according to the Jews, the Messiah could not die. And most people today believe that Jesus died. Okay? So we've covered religious, religious uh, uh, issues that Jesus posed for the ruling authorities as well as political issues. Now, what I was talking about recently, the social, he was also threatening the social order by how we eat. That's very important, how we eat. Can you imagine, you know, not, the power lost in the temple if we no longer do animal sacrifice? The power lost, how, how much today, how much money and power is in hamburgers, is in bacon, is in, is in steak, is in chicken, it's everywhere. All that people eat. So this was this was this was the true reason, in my opinion, that Jesus was crucified. But going back, so what does all that matter? you know. Thanks for going along with me. I hope you learned something. But the point of all this is today we have over half the planet serving two masters, really one, and that's government of man. But you have roughly half of the population believing that they are serving their God when in fact they are serving Satan himself in my opinion look no further than COVID-19 okay COVID-19 vaccinations are being distributed at churches at mosques at synagogues at temples I bet you didn't know The first Gospels were written in Greek. Jesus, and in the Bible it says to trust not sorcerers. Care to wager a guess at what the Greek word for sorcery is? Anyone? It's pharmake, which is obviously a root word for pharmaceutical. Pharmaceutical, big pharmaceutical today is modern sorcery. And just look at it they came out with a quote vaccine months within months and not only is it genetic genetic uh, modification are turning into a GMO human but it's being handed out for free remember that old adage it's not even old I remember when people were talking about you know Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all these, all TikTok, all these companies, these social media companies, harvesting your information. If if it's free, you're the product. That's what they always said, right? What about the vaccine? The vaccine is free. You're the product. And that, I think, is the whole point. I said it in in the beginning of 2020. I first heard about COVID-19 in late 2019. How'd you hear about that? I followed. Different news sources. Uh, Zero Edge is one of the ones that I follow. And they were reporting on it in December of 2019. And I know this because I was already talking to my family about supply chain disruptions and major, major, you know, global, it's like a global heart attack for, for, for the economy for this virus that was developing. And I remember in December, I was saying, watch, you know, these toy prices and the availability of products, it's going to just stop on a dime. And my family laughed. I said, I was crazy, I was paranoid, and stuff like that. And then sure enough, it all happened. So back then, in early 2020, I was already saying this, the COVID-19 vaccine is the mark of the beast, because they were already talking about it. In the very early stages, we need a vaccine. And the reason why I call it the mark of the beast is, you probably didn't know this, right now everyone's getting just the, the regular shot, right? It's a regular needle syringe shot, just like all others. There are currently patents out, and this is what's coming up. The upcoming general release, generational releases, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the booster one. It's no longer gonna be exclusively a needle and syringe. They're also gonna deliver what's called the micro-needle array delivery, a uh, vaccine delivery method. What it essentially is, it is a squared Band-Aid looking thing, and that's how you get the vaccine now. It's no longer a needle, they're micro-needles. They're basically microscopic needles that you, you peel the little sticker off this, uh, off the top of this uh, little Band-Aid looking thing. You put it on your, on your hand and you press down when you press down, these microscopic needles inject you with the vaccine. And I'm making your quotes because you can't see it. But inject you with the vaccine. And it also puts an imprint on you. You know a QR code, right? Basically a digital QR code. This technology was developed with funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So there's Bill Gates. With COVID, Bill Gates seems like he's involved in everything. But funding from the Bill and Melinda uh, Bill and the Gates Foundation, as well as MIT. MIT was the, the partnership that developed it. Rice University covered this this news, and they referred to the uh, the Microneedle Array patch as giving you a, a quantum dot tag, which they refer to as a digital barcode. This uh, delivery method for the vaccine also has an enzyme called Luciferase. Crazy, right? Luciferase. L-U-C-I-F-E-R-A-S-E. It is a bioluminescent enzyme that basically emits light. In order to scan a, a, a barcode, you need one of two things. You need some, something to reflect, so that's the black barcode, traditional QR code, black or, or a regular barcode, that reflects the light when you know it's with a laser on it, it feeds back and tells it what it is. Or you need light, a light source. If it's invisible to the, to the human eye, it's got to be some form of light. And that's exactly what this bio enzyme does. It's emits light so that you can use a modified smart device, so a smartphone or you know, any of these other scanners, and you can basically scan, scan it on a person's body. And it will tell you what they only say is your vaccination history. And this is the COVID, the COVID path. Kind of, they talked about it. Public was kind of, not really about it. And I I think that's all it is. They're giving everyone a taste of what life is is going to be like if you only give up your freedom to them. Well, we can go back to the way way it was. It's no big deal. Just take this now. The law of incrementalism. Uh, The law of incrementalism is the classic example of the uh, frog in boiling water. If you boil water and put the frog in, the frog jumps out immediately. The water's too hot that, if you put the water in lukewarm, you know, room temperature water and slowly turn up the uh, the fire, eventually the frog boils alive, because if these changes are so small, that it really starts can't tell you the difference, they get used to it. So that's where we're heading, and that's where Jesus is important, is if people understand that we can bring about God's kingdom on earth right now. Jesus said... God's king, the kingdom of God is not in some far off way, away place, it, it is among you right now, the here and now, it is inside of you. And it's only if humanity wakes up and realizes this. The irony in my opinion is, anyone that ever talks about uniting world religion, not into one, but uniting it in terms of peace, because of the book of Revelation is immediately written off as evil, as the Antichrist, because that's what the Antichrist supposedly, supposedly promises. But again, if the Romans basically wrote the Bible via the Council of Hippo Regis, who put together these prophecies? Maybe these prophecies aren't to save people. Maybe these prophecies are to keep them complacent. If you look at history, the, 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 Revelation, uh, the, the prophecies of Revelation have been used to keep people complacent throughout history, even in the United States of America. There are examples, you can look it up, of pastors, reverends, priests saying, The kingdom of God is at hand! Look at the signs in Revelation! Jesus is going to return! But does, does he ever come back? No. Even if Jesus actually said the things that were in Revelation, there's a lot of uh, theologians and historians that say, He wasn't saying he's going to come back, you know, in some after he died he was saying I'm going to come back when the heat dies now because again this is again I'm going to blow your mind again the four gospels that talk about the crucifixion or the gospels that talk about the crucifixion every single one has Jesus on the cross between six and nine hours pop quiz how long does it take people to die from crucifixion it takes them between 24 and 36 hours. Now, why is that? Well, people, when they're crucified, don't die from their wounds. There's, there's very little blood flow in the hands and in the feet. That's the whole point. The point of crucifixion is to torture people and then use it as a deterrent to, to scare the shit out of people. Excuse my language. But to scare people into not dare resisting and, and the, the established ruling authorities. The Romans. Also, it wasn't the Romans that invented crucifixions. Crucifixion was a practice that was utilized by very by many ancient ruling cultures. So another thing is that when when you look at the gospels, Jesus was supposedly stabbed in the side, right? Why would the Romans have done this if the whole point of crucifying someone was to torture them and, and to drag out their their death and do as slow and painful process as possible? It was not a practice to stab people in the side. And people say, oh, well, you know, they thought Jesus was special and so they wanted to make sure he's dead. Pontius Pilate killed and crucified so many Jews. Jesus was just like a, just like a, you know, another Tuesday for him. And if you don't believe me again, Read history. The Jews sent a formal complaint to Rome over how many Jews Pontius Pilate was killing. To the point that the the emperor of the time actually basically had to reprimand Pilate and tell him to chill the F out. So killing Jesus wasn't even a second thought for for Pilate. So again, why would they have stabbed him in the side? They wouldn't have. So if you look at it in that context, 24 to 36 hours, is it possible, because you're saying it's possible that Jesus died and magically rose into, into heaven, is it possible that Jesus, maybe he appeared dead, but he wasn't clinically dead, maybe he was on the cross and by all accounts he looked dead after six or nine, six or nine hours, but his brain function was still working and his heart was still beating, he just didn't look like it. When, when, when they begged for Jesus' body and they put it in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea if he wasn't clinically dead remember limited medical knowledge at the time they didn't understand how the human body worked so if you're if you're praying and hoping that your, your, your lord your, your teacher you know that isn't taken from you and he's basically like in a small coma for three days and after those three days he rises how would you explain that? You would explain it as a miracle, as the divine intervention from God. And that's what I believe is all that happened, is that Jesus survived the crucifixion. Now, if Jesus, and something else I wanted to touch on too. If you read the Gospels, but you also read history, it wasn't embalming agents they brought into the tomb. It was healing herbs, aloe. Aloe was commonly used... By the Romans for its healing properties, so they weren't trying to embalm Jesus as if he were dead. They were trying to heal him and hope that he would, you know, he pull through. And he did. So, follow me along this for this ride for a second. In this, if you ever, if you ever have any doubt about, you know, opening yourself up to new ideas, go to this quote. This always helps me from Aristotle. It is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain an idea without accepting it. So entertain this idea. Don't accept it yet. Just go along for the ride and play with me, okay? Jesus is no longer dead. He's sitting up talking, walking, and he's in this, he's in the tomb. And his followers are freaked out. Well now what do you do? This is a wanted man. This is somebody that the Romans just tried to kill. What would you do? You'd probably try to get out of Dodge. And that's again the whole point of the second coming. I will return with an asterisk when the heat dies down. So, is there any evidence I mean, I hope I was talking this way. Is there any evidence that says that uh, that, you know, any of this happens? Well, if you look at early Christian uh, theologians you have father, Irenaeus, that said that Jesus walked for, I think it was up to 20 years after the crucifixion and, 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 and taught not just his disciples, he taught You also have Origen who said the same thing, that Jesus walked for years and years You also have Various people throughout Asia that said that Jesus was, was still preaching even after he supposedly was crucified. If Jesus did not literally ascend into heaven magically, sit at God's right hand, the point is, is that Jesus lived on. And I think that ultimately is why the truth has been suppressed. They don't want more Jesus, Jesus is walking around. They want a controllable society that thinks that their salvation is literally right around the corner. And it's a corner that never turns, it never comes. The Spirit of God dwells within all people. We are all sons and daughters of God. And it's time that we realize this. I appreciate you listening, and I know I've ranted all over the place, but I hope that you learned something. And I hope that again, don't believe me. Don't believe me. I tell people this all the time. Don't believe me. It was Buddha that said, do not agree with anything that that does not agree with your own common sense or your own good sense. Same thing. You know in your heart what's true. It might scare the crap out of you sometimes, but you know what is true. It resonates in your body when you hear it. I hope that you research this for yourself. There's some great books that I'll recommend that you can read. Um, one of the ones that opened my eyes was uh, Zealot, Z-A-L-O-T. That's by the author Reza Aslan. There's also, I'm looking at it right now, there's the Gospel Q. That's my Bible. Uh, there's also The Unknown Life of Christ by Nicholas Stonovich. In this book, as co- a copy of the Buddhist, <coughs> <pardon> me, <coughs> the Buddhist manuscript that was discovered by him and independently verified by four-plus people, Um, It's called The the Life of St. Isa, The Greatest of Sons of Man. And another one that is of great, great, great importance is The Lost Years of Jesus by Elizabeth Clare Prophet. This basically very, very succinctly and eloquently um, explains where Jesus was during the last 17 years of the gospel. If you want some more reading on... uh, on other stuff related to Jesus that's not directly about Him. Uh, you could also read uh, "No God But God, which is also by Reza Aslan. That one is about the Muslim faith, but there is a little bit about Jesus in it. If you, I also recommend, if you're just a Christian, read that book because that will open your eyes up about how beautiful of a faith the, Islam, the Islamic faith really is. Uh, last thing I'll leave for you with, if you're, if you're a Christian, with regard to Islam, uh, the Quran Remember, Jesus is mentioned more than the Prophet Muhammad. The Quran, Allah, supposedly says that Jews and Christians are also Allah's people and that their faith is to be undisturbed. So, the truth is, is that we are all united and we are all one and we are all connected whether we realize it or not. But the time to realize it is now. The time to really pick our master and to choose to be servant now. They're going to try to force this vaccine on you As they already are They're now talking about going door to door In my opinion I don't think it'll ever be literally forced on you Where they're going to hold you down And jab it in your arm yeah, they're, they're, they're called consent They need your consent They might threaten you They might say if you don't get it These bad things will happen But it's always going to be uh, Trying to coerce you into doing it It's tricky to do it Stand strong, have faith And serve the one true God no matter what your religion is no matter how you were brought up even if you can even be an atheist or an agnostic doesn't matter there is only one God there is only one creator and um, even if you like I said even if you're an atheist or an agnostic or even anti, anti-theist the Declaration of Independence says your freedom is given to you by your creator that's not government If you don't believe in God who's your creator your parents your parents gave you freedom they brought you into this world We are all in this as one. You don't even need to believe in God to be on the side of God. You may not believe in God, but God believes in you. My name is Neo, and this is The Matrix is Real. Out.